All right, so Acts chapter 20, and as you guys know, we've been, been kind of giving you the backdrop as we, some of the stuff that we covered, and uh, Paul right now is on his third missionary journey, and um, I, if you ever get discouraged about what's going on in your walk with the Lord, you know, just read the book of Acts and just look at Paul's life and some of the folks that lived in the first century church. Um, you know, their lives were very challenging, very challenging. And, um, you know, just what we're going to be looking at tonight, it's, um, it's interesting to see. Um, I think sometimes, you know, I, I have a rough day, um, you know, a rough week. But it seems like every place that Paul went, um, it was a challenge for him. And uh, the folks that traveled with him, but you know what? They got up every day, day after day, and um, just kept moving forward, just kept um, walking in the light that the Lord had provided for them, walking um, and going where the Lord directed them. And um, it's an exciting life. And I, I am just so challenged by Paul in, um, in this section in, um, Acts, in Acts 20. But he's been around. Paul has been around. And something I found fascinating, um, there are anybody here, any joggers in here? Or, or how about walkers? All right, we got, we got some walkers. Well, you know, Paul, they think, roughly walked around 7,000 miles over the course of his ministry. You know, it's like walking to California and back. I mean, it's a, it's a, I mean when you think about it, I mean, even if they didn't persecute him and beat him and put him in jail and do the things they did to him, it's still just walking that far would be a challenge. But, you know, and I guess I'm saying this so you can, um, just to give you an idea of, um, you know, what it, what it took for us to, to have the book of Acts, you know, the, the men and women that were no different, and I know I, you know, I, I, Every, every time I get a chance to share, and we've been in the book of Acts, I, I just need to highlight, it's just ordinary folks, just like, just like you, that were living out their faith in the book of Acts. And look what God did. Never underestimate or never sell yourself short in what God can do in your life and through your life. And uh, we were challenged a little bit by that this morning, and I hope you guys take that to heart. Um, God wants to use you. Don't let, um, don't let people get in the way of that. Okay? All right, so let's read, um, let's read the first six verses of chapter 20. It says, After the uproar was ceased, and this is uh, from chapter 19, There's a riot in, um, in chapter 19, and it's interesting. They want to, um, they're, they're looking for Paul, they're looking for his associates, because the word of God has permeated Asia so much that it's affecting the industry of these idol makers. And they're, they're flipping out because now they're losing money. So there's this big riot. Um, Caius and a few other folks are dragged out into the town, into the square. Um, you know, one of the 
Um, officials in the town kind of talks the crowd down. Uh, Paul wants to go out and be a part of what's happening. You know, here, I mean, who, think about that. Here's, here's little Paul. He wants to walk out into this riot and take, you know, try to settle things down. You know, but there's some officials from the area that I'm assuming are believers, and they're telling Paul, um, you know, that's not a good idea right now. But, you know, they just get a glimpse into his heart, right? Most people would try to walk away from that or stay clear of that. He wants to get right into it because, you know, he wants, it's an opportunity to speak into these people's lives, into this crowd's life, you know, to share with them maybe why things have changed and just get an opportunity to share the gospel. So it says, after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed to go for Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed there three months. So that's, that would be Corinth. So he's in Corinth. And it says, when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return from Macedonia. So he wants to take the red eye from Syria all the way across, no stops, all the way back to, um, um, back to Syria from Macedonia. So um, let's pick it up in verse 5. It says, And <clears throat> Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Segundus, of the Thessalonians, and Caius of Derby and Timothy, and Tychicus and Tremophius of Asia, these men going ahead waited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after days of un- after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, and we stayed there seven days. So these guys are headed out of town, and they're going to um, going to work their way from Ephesus up through Macedonia, and then they're going to go through Philippi, Thessalon- Thessalonica, and down to um, down to Greece and to um, to Corinth. And it's interesting that he gives the names of the guys that are with him. And if you remember, Paul is on this mission. He's on this tour that he's on. He's actually collecting money to bring back to Jerusalem as an offering. And these men that um, are mentioned in verse 5, they're part of um, Paul's crew, if you will, the guys that are traveling with him, representatives of these different areas. And it really struck me, the church was really organized. The first century church was really organized. And I just... um, kind of stuck out in my mind. It's just that you, you would think here, the church is really, the church is probably 20 years old, maybe a little older. But, you know, they're, they're, they're organized. Um, they're, uh, there's, the guys that are in leadership, these representatives, these men are, um, are faithful. Um, you know, there's a lot of accountability in the group. There's a safety traveling in a big group like this. So um, it's exciting to see that, to see that Paul knows that taking this offering and bringing it to um, Jerusalem is going to speak volumes to the predominantly Jewish church in Jerusalem. 
you know, this love offering from, you know, the Gentile churches. So a lot to be said for that. So when they're in, um, they're ministering in Troas now in verses 7 through 12. So let's read 7 through 12, and it's, it's going to start to get a little interesting here. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now I know there's been times, there's been services I've been at when I've been like, uh, you know, it's been like 45 minutes, you know, an hour. And, you know, here's this service, it's midnight. It's midnight. I don't know what time the service started. But and there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in, in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even until daybreak he departed. And they brought the young man alive, and they were not a little comforted. So when it says they're not a little comforted, that means they were really comforted, right? They weren't a little comforted. And here is um, Eutychus. Um, you think now they're in, a, a, you know, they're on the third floor. You got to think now they have all these lamps on because it's dark. And the thought is, is that, you know, he's getting drowsy be, just because, well, because it's getting late, but because of the lamps and, you know, just maybe the smell or whatever. So he goes to the window to sit near the window, and he just still can't stay awake, and he falls out of the window. And I guess you can't blame the kid for getting tired, right? I mean, it's midnight, the service is still going on, he's doing the best he can. But you know what's humorous about this story? That I came across this when I was um, studying for tonight. Um, in, in the etymology of his name, Eutychus, the, the name means lucky or fortunate. So, could you imagine, hey, lucky, <laughs> it wasn't that fortunate or that lucky that night. So he falls out of the window, Paul stops the service, goes down, and you know, I mean, I guess you really got to give this some, some thought because it isn't like your average service, right? A guy falls out of the third story window, Paul stops speaking, he goes down, and he throws himself on on the kid and prays, and he tells them, do not be troubled for his life is in him. But, you know, just before that, when it talks about he was taken up dead, I mean, he literally was dead. So Paul prays for him, he comes back to life, and Paul says, do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him. Like, hey, don't worry about it. So it goes back up, they have communion, and the service goes on until daybreak. Now, I bet you Eutychus didn't fall back asleep. I bet you he was excited about um, what had happened, and he actually was pretty fortunate and pretty lucky, right, that Paul was uh, doing the service. But, you know, th- and I, was, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, here's a guy that um, really um, is never going to forget that day. He's never going to forget that day that he fell out that window. 
And I think all of us have, have really never forgot the day that we got saved, right? I, I remember it. You guys, who doesn't remember? Dave, you don't remember? <laughs> all right, we'll talk later. So, but for most of us, we, we remember the day we got saved, right? All right. All right, well, thanks. Some of you guys did. But it, yes, Pastor Rob remembers. We've heard that story. But it's just amazing to know that, you know, think about it. Um, it, it was, we were very fortunate on that day when we gave our heart to the Lord. The struggle was over. You know, the fight to find out what life was all about. You know, and we're still learning, we're still growing. But when we got saved and the Spirit of God indwelt us and we actually uh, could have fellowship with God, we can actually get into the Word and understand it and have a relationship with the living God. And um, Eutychus was a, was a lucky guy. He was a lucky guy because Paul was there. God gives him, you know, another, a new life. He's actually literally born again or <laughs> revived again. And um, I'm sure that he paid attention to everything Paul had said for the rest of um, that night. So let's move on. Let's go to 13 through 16. So now they go from Troas to Miletus. It says, when they went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos, they're intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Midline. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at you know, they can't just have little cities like Rochester or Trogulinium. Boy, that's a mouthful. The next day we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. He was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. So he goes on foot. The, the guys that he's with, they're, they're going to sail to Asos, and Paul is going to go on foot. And Asos is located about 20 miles south of Troas, so it's a 20-mile a walk. And it's across this little, like, a, a little neck of a small peninsula that you can actually get there over land. So Luke and the others, they leave on the boat, which is about a 30-mile a trip by sea, and Paul walked uh, to Asos alone. And it's interesting that, you know, when you look at Paul, I mean, he, had, he has an opportunity now to, and I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm speculating because there's really nothing, um, you know, there's, there's no account of what Paul did on his way there. But you have to think that Paul knows where he's headed. He's... Um, convinced that he needs to get to Jerusalem. He knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, it's, gonna, it, you know, it's not going to be um, um, an exciting, warm welcome for him. I mean, it's, he's going to be welcomed by the church, of course. Um, but, you know, there's going to be more persecution. Um, he's going to be imprisoned and eventually shipped out to Rome and martyred. So why did he walk? I, I would think that, you know, he took this time 
clear his head. Um, you know, he's there. He wants to get together uh, with the elders at F, you know the, the elders of Ephesus, but he doesn't want to go to Ephesus because he doesn't want to be delayed that long. So he he's in his mind wants to meet with these guys. And so I, I got to imagine he's praying. He's got to be praying about, you know, what he, what's he going to say to these men, these leaders, the leaders of the church? Um, what's he going to do when he gets to Jerusalem? He's bringing this offering. Is it going to have the effect that he intended it? And, you know, the more I got thinking about it, I thought, you know, when's the last time that I purposely just took a walk and just wanted to be alone with the Lord? You know, sure, I do it. I'm home. You know, I'll, I'll put some worship music on. I'll get into the Word. Um, I'll just pray. But I, there's something about just walking around. When I, I haven't gone hunting in a couple years, but um, I used to go deer hunting a lot. And I used to go bow hunting, so it was really nice. And I'd get out there like an hour before it got light, but there was just something about walking in the woods and sitting, you know, sitting in this tree... You know, and a lot of people that don't hunt, they think it's, like, weird. But, you know, I would, just sitting in the tree, and it's, like, pitch dark. But as, as the sun starts to come up, it's just amazing. The birds, you start to hear a few of the birds. You, you start, you know, the, everything comes to life. You know, you start hearing these different noises. But it was such a, a cherished time for me because it was just me and the Lord. And so I could see Paul is thinking, you know what, I just need to get alone with the Lord. You know, these guys are a blast to be with. And I'm sure they were fun, right? I mean, when we hang out together, I mean, we have a pretty good time. Yuck it up a little bit, talk about stuff, enjoy each other's company. I'm sure that that's, you know, what these guys were doing. And so maybe Paul's just saying, hey, you know what, Lord, I just got to get alone with you. I just need to, to get my head straight. You know, there's a lot going on. You know, I, I, don't, you know, I know it's going to be difficult when I get to Jerusalem. Um, I know that, you know, you're, you're there for me. Um, you know, anybody ever been there where you, you just needed that? I just need to get alone with the Lord. I need some direction. I just need to hear from him. You know, it's, it's nice to get counsel from um, each other or share different things. But there's just something different about being alone with the Lord and just hearing that voice, that still small voice, giving us um, direction. So um, that's, that's my thought. That's my take on it, and uh, I'm going to stick with it, all right, because I, I really think that uh, Paul really needed that time alone. So he decides to, to sail past Ephesus, doesn't want to be delayed, um, you know, he's still trying to reach Jerusalem before Pentecost. And um, he decided to have the elders, the pastors, the overseers from the Ephesian church meet him at Miletus. So, and it's interesting, and it's something just to add to that. Um, you know, even though Paul planned on being Jerus at Jerusalem for the Passover, um, if it didn't work out, it, and obviously it didn't work out, um, he decided, hey, you know what, it's okay. You know, I'm going to try to get there by Pentecost. And what I, what I like about that is blessed are the flexible. You know, blessed are the flexible because they don't break. You know, Paul had, Paul had something in mind. He wanted to be there by a certain time, but it just wasn't working out. I mean, he didn't get all weird about it. He said, all right, 
okay, you know, I'm sure he prayed and, you know, the, the Lord put it on his heart. All right, I'm going to try to get there by Pentecost. I think he wanted to be there when there was a, a there's a Pentecost, there's a lot of people in Jerusalem. And, I, you know, the, a lot of people now in, in Jerusalem, Pentecost, a lot of Christians. And I, I really think he wanted to use, um, you know, that time to really just show them how giving that the Gentile church was. So he's not getting all worked up about it. You know, another practical application for us. You know, we have plans. What's that saying? You know, we make plans and God laughs. You know, when, you know we, it's okay to have plans. It's okay to, to, to look ahead. But you know what? And I, you know, Pastor Rob said it today. Sometimes God throws us a curve. Sometimes we have a plan, but God has something different going on. And God has a way of redirecting us. So be flexible in your walk with the Lord. Don't worry about it. If, I mean, I don't think there's anybody in this room that doesn't believe that the Lord is in control. And you know what? If you believe that, if you truly believe that, then you don't need to get all worked up about things not happening according to our plan. And I know that there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff going on, especially, um, you know, with the mandates. You know, and a lot of people feel like that they're pushed in a corner with some of these things that are going on. But you know what? God is still in control. He's still in control. And I don't know how things work out, but they do. God, um, God has a way of making a way where there seems to be no way. And we, as, as believers, you know, we need to grab hold of that. And I really, obviously, Paul had a firm grip on that. He had a firm grip on that for sure. So from now to the rest of the chapter, and I don't, I don't think we'll get to the end of the chapter tonight, but Paul exhorts the Ephesian elders through the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 17. And we'll, we'll read some verses and comment as we go. But, you know, I, I want you guys not to, um, I mean, this is written to, I mean, Paul is speaking to these Ephesian elders, but there is so much in this for us. I mean, you don't have to be an elder to receive what Paul is saying here, because the application is for, for all of us, for all of us. So it says here, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus in verse 27 and called for the elders of the church. So I've been blessed to go to um, a lot of pastors' conferences and, um, you know, over the years. If you haven't been to one, um, here's your chance right now because this is, this is like one of the ultimate, record, you know, records of a pastors' conference. You know, and some of us have been to pastors' conferences where we've left, like, floored, like, oh, my gosh, you know. But think about it. Here, these are the pastors from the church at Ephesus, and the keynote speaker is Paul. And he's going to share his heart with these men. And, you know, and, and there's so much emotion here because he knows that once he's done and he leaves these guys, he's never going to see them again. And, you know, that's, you know that was a, a tough pill for him to swallow and for these, and for these men. Um, so there's so much heart here, um, but you know it's um, it, it's really uh, just a privilege for us to be able to look at it and grow from it. 
So Paul called for the pastors and the elders from Ephesus, uh, knowing what, that he was headed to Jerusalem and was going to face some difficult times. Like I said, imprisonment eventually, and finally execution. He called the elders together to give them final instruction and exhortation about ministry and service. And you might not be in ministry right now, or you might not be serving, but the plan is that you would be in ministry and be serving. Right? I mean, that's, that's the goal, right? God hasn't called us to be um, like an official seat warmer. You know, God has called us to be a part of the body. And whatever that part of the body God calls you to, um, you, you got to be faithful to do it. Right? So, you know, he's going to give instruction and exhortation for ministry and service. And I, I really want to encourage you guys to, um, to pray about getting plugged in. Pray about going to the Tuesday night prayer meeting. Pray, I mean, there's a lot of things going on in the church, children's ministries, um, you know, greeters. There's so much going on. And, you know, none of it is insignificant. None of it is insignificant. It's all important stuff, right? Because I think we all, all can agree. Anything that we would do for the Lord is pretty important, right? So if God's tugging on your heart to do something, hey, even if you don't know what it is, just say, hey, the Lord put it on my heart to serve. Is there, where do you need me? And, you know, we'll, we'll find a spot for you. There's, there's a few of them. There's some, there's some um, vacancies, so we can find you something. All right, so when you're reading through the New Testament, just to get some of this stuff straight because some of the terms, keep in mind that an elder and a pastor and a bishop are all interchangeable terms describing the same position. Okay, so the Greek word translated elder doesn't speak of, like, chronological years, like an old elder, like a person's old, but of spiritual maturity. So elder describes the man. The Greek word translated bishop means overseer. So the bishop describes the ministry. And the Greek word translated pastor means feeder or shepherd. So pastor describes the method. So it... it, you know, there's a, a, it breaks down pretty logically. So in verse 28, it says, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I, uh, I always lived among you. And I like that. It says, And when they were come to him. Now, talking about serving, think, there's something to think about. One of the greatest abilities in the kingdom of God is availability. Availability. One of the greatest abilities in the kingdom of God is availability. And think about this. Now, I don't know if you guys, you know, probably you guys don't think the way I do. But, you know, these guys, these elders, they had jobs, right? Uh, They had family obligations. They had responsibilities, But when Paul called, they came. And by making the journey to Ephesus to Miletus, which was like 30, another, it's 30 miles. We don't think of anything jumping in the car and driving 30 miles to go someplace. But 
if these guys either if they had like an animal to ride or but you know they walk 30 miles and you know they're not it's not like they could put in for I don't know if they had vacation in the first century if you could you know hey I gotta be leaving to meet Paul in Miletus could I take a week off you know who knows but these men were available and I want to talk about something out of Deuteronomy 20 because it gives a powerful illustration of the importance and necessity of being available if you're going to be used in service to any degree. So in, in Deuteronomy 20, and you don't have to turn there, I'll kind of read the verses or just paraphrase some of the verses, but in the chapter, in chapter 20, it's concerning warfare. Okay, and the priest and the officer Officers were instructed to say to the people of Israel, when you see the enemy more numerous than you, with horses and chariots and armor, do not be afraid because the Lord is with you and he will bring you victory. Now right after that word was spoken, however, the captains were instructed to go to the same group of people and say, whoever among you has a new house, and has not yet dedicated it, a vineyard, and has not yet eaten of it, a new wife, or fear in your heart, go home lest you die in the battle. In other words, if you say, what if I get wounded and I can't hold a hammer or I can't do my job any longer? How will I finish my house? Or I'd like to teach Sunday school or go overseas but I'm climbing the corporate ladder and my job won't allow for it. Or I'd like to serve more, but my wife really needs me home and she doesn't like me to be away at night or on Saturdays. Or just simply, I'm afraid. You won't make it on the front lines with those kind of attitudes. There's areas of concern referred to in Deuteronomy 20 you know, those things that we mentioned um, are actually concentric circles. So think about it this way. For most of us, our material possessions don't have a priority. Well, hopefully they don't. Okay? Our jobs, that's a little closer to home. Our wives, our husbands, that's getting real close. And our own hearts, that's like at the center of it, right? That's at the center of it. If you want to be used in ministry, these four areas must be committed to the Lord. When you say my material possessions, my vocation, my family, and even my own fears and insecurities do not have priority and will not dominate me, you will see the Lord minister through you powerfully. And it's not that you don't, obviously, it's not that you don't care about your husband or wife or you don't care about what the house looks like or anything like that. It's just that the Lord needs to be first. The Lord needs to be first. So, and that, you know, obviously it's not a word of condemnation. It's a word of honest evaluation. Many men and women have entered positions of ministry only to find once they're in, they're not ready for them. You know, they're not ready to make these commitments. And, um, you know, here, you know, we um, encourage folks that want to get involved to, you know, come to the church for a while, obviously, get comfortable, uh, get comfortable here, get comfortable with the folks here. 
and uh, pray about where the Lord would have you um, serve, and then come and talk to one of us guys, uh, you know, in leadership. But, you know, knowing that you got to, you know, and what Paul is saying is you got to count the cost. You know, they have to understand that there is a commitment to it. The key to ministry is availability. The elders came. It wasn't easy. They had no paid vacation, like I said. It was difficult, but they were here. When Paul said, brothers, we need to get together, we need to be instructed, exhorted, and encouraged, they all showed up. They all showed up. So don't read past that the next time you go through Acts 20. You know, for these guys to, to come to Miletus was a big step of faith for them, and it, it just showed that their availability and their commitment. So it said, and he said unto them, you know from the first day, I'm still in verse 20, that I came into Asia, and after what manner uh, I have been with you. So Paul's telling them, from the first day I arrived in your city, you knew what kind of man I was. You know, if Paul had a nickname, they probably could be Steady Eddie. Did you like that? Steady Eddie. It's just, just steady. Just, you know, Paul was consistent. He was consistent. Steady Eddie. And first impression, um, you know, if you want to put, have, make a good first impression with somebody you don't know, um, maybe the first thing that they should know about you is that you're excited about Jesus. You know, first impressions. Look, Paul made a first impression. You know, starting a new job, moving away. Um, from day one, identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. And so I took it as, I looked at this, like from every stage of life. Okay, so think about um, if you're a parent or a grandparent or you, you have influence in maybe a niece or a nephew's life or in, obviously in each other's lives. But at each stage of life, so I have grammar school, middle school, high school, college, and eventually work. Encourage your kids or your grandkids to go for it from the first day. To make that, that first impression. You know, kids, you know, first day at school. So you know what? Take your Bible to school. So from the very first day, they're going to know where you stand. Instead of waiting like six months later and then all of a sudden you show up with your Bible. First impressions, Paul told them, hey, you knew what kind of man I was right from the very first day you met me. You guys knew I was sold out. You guys knew my attitude. You knew my love for the Lord, for the word of God. You knew. And, you know, he was consistent with that. He was consistent with that. And, I, you know, I just, I thought it was pretty cool. To, and, and I just wrote, my great-granddaughter got dedicated last week. And in the card, I, you know, obviously she's not going to read it. But I told her that, you know, even, you don't even realize it yet, but the Lord is using you to cultivate character in your mother and father. And that someday they're going to, you know, they're going to continue to do that in your life to, to, you know, build character, Christ-like character in your life. And I just encouraged her, you know, and she's only, she's only a year old. But, you know, someday hopefully she's going to read that card or obviously I'm going to be able to share that with her hopefully before that, but just to encourage her, you know, Gia, put your best foot forward from day one, 
from day one. So the people that you meet, the people that you interact with, know that you love the Lord. You know, there's no, um, you know, there's no doubt about it. They just know. And I, you know, I'm sure that um, where you guys work, the people you interact with, they understand where you're coming from, right? Your faith. And, you know, that's exciting, you know, and just to just put it out there. And, you know, think about it, you know, because I've heard this. You know, I don't know where we ever got the idea about fitting in or being able to relate. Because it seems like more and more you can't. If you're a Christian, you can't fit into society today. Not if you're vocal about your faith. You know, maybe I don't, I don't think I'm wrong. But it's, it's difficult today to um, really to try to fit in and try to relate to people that think totally the opposite that we think. And it's getting to be more and more like that. And I'm not, you know, I, I, hey, you know, obviously we, we still share the gospel and we still interact with people. But the point I'm trying to make is don't try to fit in because it's not, it's like putting around peg into a square hole or vice versa. You know, it's not going to happen. And you know what usually happens in a situation like that? You do something that maybe is a little off color or whatever, and then the next thing you know, oh, and you're a Christian, and you can say and do that. It isn't going to work out. So like Paul, from day one, these guys knew what he was all about. So that's, uh, that's the approach we need to have. And then Towards the end of verse 18, in the, New, in the King James Version, it says at the end of the verse, after what, um, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. And I just thought it's interesting, you know, we, Paul was with them, you know, through all seasons, you know, thinking of those four seasons, right? Not the band, the four seasons of, you know, spring and summer and fall and winter, right? Because there's an excitement of spring when you get a new understanding from the word and fresh insights into the Lord. Really, things start to blossom in your life, right? Things get excited. And spring leads to the fruitfulness of summer when you start to see ministry opportunities open. And I, I pray that that is happening for you guys, that there's opportunities for ministry opening up for you. And the Lord uses your life and you, you know, you're like, wow, this is awesome. You know, you start to see fruit in your life. And then fall comes when the Lord says, there's some dead leaves that need to be knocked off. The wind blows, trials come, and you wonder what's going on. You know, ever been in the fall of your walk with the Lord? And, you know, it's funny, these, these seasons, they change, you know, yearly, and they come and go. But fall is followed by winter, and those are long periods where you feel nothing and hear very little, right? So, you know, early in my walk, not understanding the necessity of seasons, I used to get discouraged when winter came because I was, I was thinking, man, I haven't, I, I feel like I'm backsliding. I haven't heard from the Lord. There's no excitement. But, you know, those things happen. Those things happen. And, I, you know, Paul is telling these guys that, um, you know, there's going to be those seasons. There's going to be those good times, those great times, those times where things get challenging and difficult. 
And then there's going to be times where, um, you know, you feel like you're not even hearing from the Lord. Um, but we know that that's not true, right? We need to just stay the course. Got to stay the course. So Paul said in verse 19 that he's serving the Lord with all humility and many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Uh, Obviously, you know, that was Paul's whole life. That was his whole life. So here's a question for you. How was Paul able to continue in ministry even when people threw rocks at him? Think about it. Somebody picks on you for being a Christian or you picks on you because you think a certain way and you get discouraged. I mean, and they were literally, right, in Acts 14, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. All right, so, you know, he, you know, he's totally um, challenged day in and day out about continuing in the ministry. But here's the answer to the question. By serving the Lord rather than serving people. Paul was able to continue in ministry even when people were throwing rocks at him because he was serving the Lord. He wasn't serving people. In other words, his focus was serving the Lord. If you're in a ministry to serve people, it might, you might, it might last for a while, but you're going to get burned out eventually because oftentimes, like Paul, all you receive from those you serve will be stones and beatings. Serving the Lord, that's, that's where the focus needs to be. And that's what Paul told these guys. Serving the Lord with all humility. Humility, it's so important. If you're in ministry, um, you know, you, we can't be in ministry to serve people or to satisfy some innate need within us but to serve the Lord because of what he did for us. If that's your heart, if that's your motivation, uh, you're going to endure through the good times and the bad times. If your heart's right before the Lord and serving the Lord for the right motives, serving him, right, first and foremost, then he's going to see you through the spring, the summer, the fall, and the winter seasons of your whole life. Serving the Lord, keeping your focus on him. Keeping your, you know, because we're going to let each other down, right? We do, we do it not intentionally, right? So, well, sometimes we do it intentionally. But for the most part, we, you know, we're, it's not an intentional thing. But if we're looking, you know, to get, um, you know, a pat on the back or for whatever reason, if our focus isn't serving the Lord and it's on people, we're going to be disappointed. And like I said, Paul, with all humility... You know, Paul's gifts were great. His abilities were mind-boggling. I mean, intellectually, theologically, um, his ability to speak and to to share a message. Um, Paul was really um, an incredible guy. Yet he said he served the Lord. He served people with humility of mind because he knew each of his abilities Everything that he was able to do was a gift from God. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that, you guys, even the simple things. You know, God has gifted us in so many different ways. 
so many different ways. And Paul would, and it kept Paul humble because he knew it wasn't him. You know, it was, Paul said there was n- nothing good in him. You know, so don't and and you know this is. I think it helps because you know when you when you're, you're you you have that humility of mind. Um, you know, you're you're not thinking more of yourself than you ought. All right, it's a safe place to be. When humility is a safe, comfortable place to be. Humility of mind means truly esteeming others better than oneself, and that's in Philippians two three. Humility of mind means not finding fault with a brother or sister, but finding fruit, approving those things that are excellent within them, looking for the fr- looking for fruit in a brother and sister's life. Not getting, you know, not looking at them and being frustrated about or maybe somebody, you come into church and somebody's sitting in your seat or somebody bumps into you and doesn't say, excuse me. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons that we um, get weird with people. But you know what? Look for the good in each other. Right? I mean, you know, how does it, doesn't it feel good when somebody just gives you a, a just a compliment or just speak something positive into your life. You know, that's what God's called us to do as believers. We're the body of Christ. Humility of mind means realizing it's the grace of God, not our own merit, that allows us to know him and to walk with him. The grace of God. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And it's something that I, I don't think that we ever totally comprehend. Sometimes I look in the mirror and wonder, God, you know, why? You know, and because we know, nobody knows us like we know each other, right? Like the way you know who you are. But God sees who you are and the thoughts that goes on in your mind, the things that come in, that are in your heart. You know, God knows that and he still loves us. He's still willing to say, hey, all right, well, you know, we can, we're going to work past that. You know, don't worry. And the thing is, it's okay to say okay. <laughs> you know, when God is speaking to your heart, and God is saying, hey, I've forgiven you. It's under the blood. You know, don't, don't beat yourself up about it. Then don't do that, right? You know, sometimes it's difficult to forgive yourself. I understand that. And, I'm, you know, I'm, I think we've all been there. But I just want to encourage you guys, just be humble before the Lord. It's his grace. It's his grace. I heard this story about a pastor talking about humility. He was driving to a pastor's conference, and he was, you know, was going to address a group of pastors. And while he was driving to, work, to the destination, he prayed, Lord, I want to be like you when I talk to my brothers at the conference. And, you know, he thought to himself, hey, that's a pretty decent prayer. Until the Lord spoke back to him clearly and said, you want to be like me, he asked. The pastor responded, yes. The Lord responded back, why do you want to be like me? He said, well, Lord, because you're awesome. So the Lord said back to him, Did you ask me to be like me when you were with your kids two mornings ago? No. 
but you're asking me to be like me now when you're about to talk to a group of pastors. The pastor was exposed at that point. He had prayed that prayer hundreds, if not thousands of times before. It was a noble request, but his motivation was off. And the point is that, you know, just the humility to want to uh, be there um, and have that kind of an influence um, on his kids. And, you know, he's, the Lord just challenged him, called him on it. Oh, you, wanna, you, want, you, know, you want to be powerful, you want to have this powerful word to speak to these other ministers, um, but you don't want to be like me so you can serve your kids humbly. You know, humility, humility. You know, the Bible from cover to cover is full of, you know, just our, the Lord encouraging us, the Holy Spirit encouraging us to be humble, to be humble. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of Christians don't want like to pray, Lord, you know, make me humble because they're worried what's going to come after that. But, you know, it isn't, it isn't so much, you know, that God's got to do something to you to make you humble. You know, it's a choice, really. I really believe it. It's a choice of your heart. You know, before the Lord, it's you, you know, you just honestly evaluate um, you in light of what the Lord has done in your life. And there's really, it's hard not to be humble. It's hard not to want to point out the good things you see in other believers because you're so thankful that God has saved you. So thankful that God has done a work in you that you thought was never going to, you know, that it was never going to, your life was never going to change. But God did it for you. So humility is, is just so important, guys. We need it in the church. We need it in the church. Well, let's do one more verse. I don't want to be too late. All right, so verse 20, it says, and Paul said, Now, I kept back nothing in verse 20 that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. So Paul is saying, I gave you everything I had. You know, I didn't leave anything, <laughs> didn't leave anything out. He declared, I held nothing back that would be profitable for you. Paul put it all out there. He said, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. And, you know, you see these movies, you know, where people go back in time. Wouldn't it be cool just if you could go back in time just for like a week and just hang around with Paul and just going house to house and doing ministry and just to see what it, what it would be like. But, you know, we, um, it's a little different. We, we, go to house to, we go from house to house in the summer, and it's not like, like here where they were having fellowship in house to house. You know, we're, you know, trying to get people to, um, to realize the gospel is true, true when we go from house to house. But it must, must have been just a, a, such an exciting time to go from house to house just getting to, to hang out with people in the fellowship, you know, because churches really, I mean, they, church back in the first century wasn't like 
like this building. You know, people had Bible studies in their homes. And, you know, I was thinking of this analogy because when I was, I was cleaning my garage out and I had these old milk bottles. And then I was thinking, when I was a kid, which was a while ago, the milkman used to come to our house. Every, you know, and he would leave, he would take the old milk bottles out and he would put the new ones, you know, with milk there. And then I thought of, you know, like, Paul is like a spiritual milkman. And he was going um, with the milk of the word from one house to another, just ministering the word of God to new believers. I mean, what a, how, what a life. Paul, you know, I mean, all the things, you know, it must have been such a joy for him to do that. And think of how it must have given him so much motivation to get up the next day, even after being stoned or being persecuted, to get up and think, hey, you know what? We're going house to house today. There's, you know, there's people in the village that we haven't met, people in this town we haven't met yet. There's uh, some new Christians over there. You know, and he's just going house to house, ministering the word of God to these folks. And, you know, I just want to leave you with that kind of thought. You know, and we don't, it isn't necessarily that, that, that we go house to house, but we have, um, maybe it could be more like people to people. God has put people in our lives that we have these open doors to share the word. God has put people in our lives that are, are just got saved, new believers. And you know what? They want, they want the word of God. They're hungry for it. And God has privileged you to be a part of that person's life, a part of what God is orchestrating um, in your life too. And it's really, um, it's really, a, it's so healthy for us to embrace that, to embrace that. And I want to encourage you, you know, when you get up tomorrow, you know, get up, put your best foot forward, say, okay, Lord, you know, that coworker that I've been sharing with, you know, I'm going to just love them. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to just invest in them or my aunt, my uncle, this guy down the street, my neighbor. You know, Lord, I want to make an investment in the kingdom of God today. I want to make an investment in somebody's life. I want to, you know, I, I want you to just use me in a way that, that is going to benefit the kingdom today. I don't want to just have like a... Um, if, if it could even be this way, but just like a neutral kind of day. Just go through the day, you know, nothing. That, didn't really share the word. You know, no, Lord, today I, want, today I want it to be different. You know, you've put people in my life, and now, you know what, I just want to be faithful to whatever you put on my heart, whatever it is, sharing the gospel, praying for them, um, even getting in the word more just on your break or at lunch at work, asking, you know, maybe you got a coworker that's a Christian. Hey, let's get together and do a Bible study for lunch. Let's see if we can get some of the other employees that want to be a part of it. You know, but Paul, see, he was always, you know, he's, you know, what you saw was what you got, a man who loved the Lord with all his heart, loved the Lord and just wanted to further the kingdom of God. Not because he wanted another notch in his belt, because he knew um, what he, he knew the result. 
you know, he knew what the outcome was going to be. People were going to be getting saved. People, instead of dying and dropping into hell, were, <laughs> were going to go home and be with the Lord because, you know, Paul had this love and this desire to please God and to be faithful to what God had called him to do. So we'll um, eventually get past through the rest of this chapter, um, but I want to just leave you with that thought. Read the rest of the chapter. Um, you know, Paul's life is going to get interesting as he continues when he makes it back to Jerusalem. Um, he's going to hook up with James and a bunch of the elders in the Jerusalem church. And Paul's going to show up with all of his Gentile friends. And it's really going to be the church is going to just come together. And it's really, it's really exciting to read about it because, you know, and, and that was really part of Paul's heart, you know, getting these folks together. You know, finally, you know, think about it, James, you know, the like the the head of the church in Jerusalem is going to meet some of these Gentile guys who were pastors, you know, in over in Europe and other parts of Asia. Just amazing to see it all come together. So read, keep reading through the book of Acts. It really gets exciting um, to, to get a look to see how, um, you know, God just brings the church together the Jews and the Gentiles, and of course things go south for Paul, but um, boy, you wouldn't know. He was never discouraged. And when he was, 2311, um, he's in a cell wondering what's going on, and Jesus comes to him and says, hey, you know what? You did a good job here in Jerusalem, and guess what? We're going to go to Rome, and you're going to be witnessing, you're going to be sharing the gospel to kings, to rulers. So even in, even in one of Paul's dark moments, Jesus is there to encourage him. So a lot to learn, a lot of practical stuff for us to, to glean out of the book of Acts. So finish, keep reading, and uh, the next time I share, we'll pick up in uh, verse 21 of Acts 20. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together. And Lord, thank you for your word. And um, Lord, I pray that... Um, that God, you would continue to um, teach us. That you would begin, begin, or continue to um, lead us and guide us, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you'd fill us to overflowing. We thank you that as we're in the Word, that you would teach us, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds to the realities of your Word, and and that um, Lord, that there would be an excitement in our hearts. Um, as we as we realize um, what you've entrusted us with, um, the word of life, uh, Lord, and uh, that's exciting. I pray, God, that um, should you tarry and you give us tomorrow, that, uh, Lord, that we would do our best to live for you and, uh, Lord, to glorify you in all that we do. Uh, we pray for Traveling Mercy's home. Get us home safe, Lord, and uh, we just continue to praise you and thank you for our time together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.